I'm curious myself. The man is a gambler and a thief. I'm not a thief. You are a thief. Well, everybody, it has been almost six months since we started Make It So, and I don't think anybody thought it was going to take this long. But, after six months of hard work, we are at the end of Phase 2, and each of the Borg and Federation teams have presented to us a 45-card virtual expansion. I'm Charlie Plain, and with me as always today is Mr. Neil Dimmons. Hello, everybody. Well, Neil, we have two virtual expansions to take a look at, and that's that's a lot of cards. So. Yeah, what I'm thinking is, let's just do a quick glance through these cards, talk about anything that jumps out at you, and next week we'll jump into a little bit more depth, maybe even get a couple special guests on here. How does that sound? That sounds great. Last week, the teams had to put out spoilers and uh, the names of their expansions, and the board team created Far Beyond the Stars, while the Federation team created Home. And I think that you and I were pretty much both in agreement that, based on the spoilers alone, it wasn't too clear-cut if there was a winner there. No, I was I was 5% both directions, because I thought both teams spoiled cards pretty well. I would have liked to see from both teams some, some, some spice or some excitement. And, and there was a little bit there, but once I've had a chance to look through their expansions here, they, they could have done a lot better with their spoilers. One of the more difficult things about designing an expansion is figuring out, well, figuring out what to put in it and designing the cards is obviously the most difficult. But other than that, you want to make sure that you have a nice spread of the different card types covered. Right. Obviously, we sort of forced that on the teams with this challenge by saying you have to have one card for every affiliation. The main reason we did that was because we've been sort of hammering at them the whole time. Some of these affiliations are broken, don't do anything for them. And if we didn't do that, you would have had some very lopsided expansions, which I, I don't think is necessarily a good thing for the game all the time. Well, I think those types of expansions have their place. Like our, our last expansion, the, the, the boutique product was, was Infinite Diversity was, was fun, but it's not t- typical of an expansion. Right. I think if we're going to come out with a standard uh, expansion that's, that's, that's focused on just adding cards to the game, it really does need to be balanced. Right, especially since we told them that this, you know, this hypothetical expansion would be the next one down the line, and the previous full expansion before that was Allegiance, which was very atypical. This one definitely needed to be balanced, and so I think putting that in the requirements of the challenge was a, was a smart decision on the judges' part. With that in mind, I had a benchmark in my head to compare these expansions to when they were done with it. And that benchmark was The Undiscovered Country. Sure. The Undiscovered Country was a 45-card virtual expansion. It was the first virtual expansion done by the Continuing Committee, so it was sort of in the same, we're playing around in this new zone of space type of feel that these guys had. More importantly, it was one of those expansions where we tried to give some something to everybody. That was one of the actual design goals of Undiscovered Country was everybody gets a little bit of something. Did you like the Undiscovered Country as an experience? I have sort of mixed feelings on it. It's very diplomatic. It, it doesn't. It's not very thematic. It's got a card for every affiliation. Uh, it doesn't really have much 
extra stuff in it other than this was the continuing committee's first attempt at putting an expansion out, and I, I, mean, I thought it was a home run. But I think their subsequent uh, sets have been better. Undiscovered Country was, wasn't was the greatest expansion, but it's a good benchmark for the whole spreading the love around model. Yes. I think I think the advantage that the teams have working on, on these expansions is that we gave them a specific focus, which was the Zindi, and then from that, they extrapolated their set themes. The, the Borg went with regions, and the Federation went with dealing with your headquarters missions. Indirectly, right. of course, but... Regardless, I look at the Undiscovered Country as sort of the, the benchmark for the, the everybody-gets-a-little-bit-of-love breakdown and how how an expansion based on that model should look. Right. Uh, and I wanted to share a couple interesting statistical facts for you. Excellent. All of them, are, we're going we're gonna to look at three expansions. We're going to look at Far Beyond the Stars, Home, and the Undiscovered Country. None of them included equipment, which was the obvious choice. We, we said you didn't have to include equipment. Well, and it was also another one of those things that we never really saw or we never gave them a challenge to design a cool equipment or a, a unique equipment. So unless somebody just had an idea for a, an, an awesome equipment that wasn't already in the game, then the, the, there was no opportunity or there was no brainstorming to, to get. So, yeah, that's fine. The most interesting deviations are, first of all, with dilemmas. Undiscovered Country had 10 dilemmas, almost 25% of the expansion. Right. The board team created five, and the Federation team created six. Compared to each other, they're about the same. Yeah. Dilemmas are a good card to have a lot of, because everybody can use them. True, but we've already got a lot of dilemmas in the game. So unless you're working on a theme or you're working on something that you want to focus on, then just adding a couple of of dilemmas is, is, yeah, we don't need to add a whole bunch. This can also make a little bit more sense if their personnel and ship numbers were up, because they were adding the Zindi. It's, it's not really an adding an affiliation, but sort of. There are a lot of dilemmas, but they're constantly evolving. There's constantly things that need to be adjusted, and the dilemma pile is the way to do that. Sure. I think both teams didn't put enough dilemmas in. Just, just yeah. looking at, setting the benchmark that I set in my head, I would have liked to see more dilemmas. That segues nicely into my next point, which is the number of events. The Undiscovered Country included eight, and to be honest, that was probably more than it should have had in it. The Borg have 11, and the Federation have 10. I, I noticed that too when I was looking through the sets. When I scrolled through the dilemmas and then started scrolling through the events, uh, the events didn't quit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's too many in, in my mind. I mean, that's 25% of your expansion being events. Well, and it depends on what they are, too. If it's a, if it's a theme you're working on, that's one thing. But, but I look at, at, at the two sets, and I see a couple of the dilemmas that they aren't awesome and they aren't necessary. I mean, some, some events aren't awesome, but they're necessary. Some events are not necessary, but they're super awesome. I, I see some of these events that aren't either, and they didn't need to be in the set. Well, well think of it this way. If, if we were still printing 120-card expansions... Right. They'd be looking at if the if the statistics were were carried through, that'd be thirty events. Twenty five to thirty five events. That's a lot. They might all be great cards, but that's a lot of events. So probably in my mind I would have cut three to four events from each team and put in three to four more dilemmas. Sure. Interestingly enough, all the other stats track with two exceptions. Interrupts, the Borg had two, the Federation had three, and the Undiscovered Country had three. So that's that's fine. Personnel Undiscovered Country had 19, the Borg and the Federation had 20 and 18, respectively. So, again, right. plus or minus one. The yeah. two notable exceptions were missions. The Undiscovered Country had two missions. 
So did the Federation teams home, but the Borg teams, Far Beyond the Stars, had four. Stars had four, yeah. But their whole theme was region missions. Yeah, and I know four is twice as many as two, but it's also only two more than two. I'm actually not complaining about it. Because their whole expansion was based on a mission theme, Sure. I would expect to see more missions in it than the average. And it's not... It is twice as many, but again, it's it's not horrible. Yeah, it's not significant. Especially when your whole theme is based around missions and mission keywords. I think it makes sense. Right. And also, as far as the missions go, uh, there were no, I I, I would say, like, junk missions. or There there weren't any any regular missions. All all four of their missions were were very thematic and very cool. And and just like you said with their themes, they were all region missions, too. I'll I'll see. Okay. The real thing that jumped out at me was the ship's... Undiscovered Country has two. Far Beyond the Stars had three, but Home has six. Six ships out of a 45-card expansion is a lot of ships. Yeah, but the problem I have with that is not that there's six ships, that's a lot, but the six ships only cover four affiliations. Right, and I can sort of forgive that with Non-Aligned, which is one of them, because they, they want to put in more than one Zindi ship. And, and overall, the Federation put in more Zindi content than the board. So, for example, there's eight Zindi personnel in the Federations versus the five in the Borgs. Or, I think it's six six or seven Zindi. There's one random non-aligned in there, too. But And then two ships. Right. But there's also two Starfleet ships. And Starfleet's like the last affiliation that needs another ship. They have eight million ships already. Yeah, they do. Uh, and the, other than the Defiant, which everybody, we knew they were both going to put the Defiant in there. But yeah. given that you put the Defiant in there, why would you put another one in there? But like you've said before, though, when, I mean, ships are hard to make because when people look at ships, because that's one of the first things they look at in, in a new set, is you look at cost, staffing, and range. And if the cost to staffing and range equation doesn't work out well, it doesn't matter what the ship does, it's a binder fodder ship. Yes, and, and that's that's why ships are hard. Because if you try to make a ship that's you know outside of that ratio, it's got to have an insanely powerful ability to get people to use it. Otherwise, they're just going to go for ships that are slightly better, that have the range that they need, or have a better cost-benefit. So the, the thing that really jumps out at me is is it's just that's just a lot of ships. I mean, and the, the problem with all the affiliated cards is if you don't like that affiliation or don't play that affiliation, that doesn't do anything for you. And especially with ships, it's almost double that. So it's like a double whammy. It's like you're already playing with affiliated cards, that a percentage of your users aren't going to care about. And now you're creating ships that you risk messing with that golden ratio that people aren't going to want to play with anyway. However, I, I don't want to knock them. I mean, just this is just this is just an in, interesting from a statistical point of view. Like I said, for the most part, the difference in card types was plus or minus one or plus or minus two over each other or over the undiscovered country. I, I think the, the real interesting things to look at here are the very high number of events and the low number of dilemmas and, and the difference in the number of ships. I mean, the feds have twice as many ships as the board. I think that's an interesting thing. I don't. I mean, once you dig into the cards, maybe there's a good reason for that. Yeah, but then if we, if we look at these two uh, sets here, though, both teams came up with a very similar ratio of cards. Well, I mean, they're all off by one or two. Which, so, which shows me that they actually are kind of paying attention to the, that ratio of cards that you want to put in there. Right, but is the ratio of cards that they chose because they chose it and they just both got lucky, or is the ratio of cards that they chose 
that way because we as the as the contest givers gave them challenges to encourage this type of a ratio well that's an interesting question that only the powers that be behind the competition can ask <laughs> uh, can answer my feeling is that this ratio is sort of natural it's sort of the ratio at which all expansions are going to naturally go unless they're operating on a weird principle like the boutique products or allegiance it's just i think it's probably the culmination of the way the challenges were phrased because that's the way the designers know that things should be and the way that the challengers worked because that's the way that they have observed that things should be so i think it's sort of the natural culmination of us being around star trek ccg as long as we've been around it is something bothering you major you don't want to ask me that commander why not because i have the bad habit of telling the truth even when people don't want to hear it. One more piece of statistical data that I quickly gathered was number of cards per affiliation for the personnel. The Borg gave a personnel to every affiliation, while the Federation team did not. The requirement was they had to give a personnel or a ship to every affiliation. So both teams met that objective. The Borg gave at least one personnel to every affiliation. Ship, if necessary. The Federation did not give personnel to Klingons nor the Romulans, but they did give them ships. Sure. Numbers-wise, they were pretty close. Three Bajorans to two Bajorans, one Borg and one Borg, two Cardassian to one Cardassian, one and one Dominions, four Feds to three Feds, one Ferengi each, five non-aligned for the Borg versus eight non-aligned in the Federation entry. That's, that's the, most, the biggest difference there. And I think that's that the, the the home had a few more Zindi in it. I think they also included some non-Zindi non-aligns, if I remember correctly. I, I believe you're right, yes. And then they each made one Starfleet personnel. Knowing what you know about the state of the game and the judges' comments and the challenges so far, do anything about the, the personnel ratios jump out at you as, as a warning sign or as questionable? Well, I think there should have been more personnel, but the ratios seem to work out just right. But I only think there should be more personnel because I, I like full personnel. And we gave them a challenge of, of figuring out the, the, the Zindi. And so the Zindi should have made up a significant portion of the expansion, which, which to me says that there should be more people. Right. But, but that's not bad. I mean, I mean they both put in their, their, their Zindi personnel. And they gave them a ship and, and a couple of support cards so that this into your... They're, they're, they're not too bad of a play. One last interesting note. It does look like neither team gave anything to Voyager. The, well, the one team gave them a mission. Maybe. But there's no personnel or ships. I'm talking, talking about personnel oh, or ships. There's no, sure, sure. no Voyager or personnel ships. So, interesting. interesting. They would not have been the number... If I was going to leave something out, it wouldn't have been them. However, I suppose we, we did not allow them the option of leaving out an affiliation. Okay, so we've looked at the card numbers and the card types. Is there anything, we've, we've only had the chance to sort of look through them briefly. Was there anything that jumped out at you in Far Beyond the Stars? Well, I mean, there's, there's a few things that jumped out at me. Uh, if we want to drill down a little bit, I, I, I liked looking at a couple of their dilemmas that they had made before, and that we've seen before, and how they had the opportunity to rework them and rebuild them. And for example, the, the dilemma under, unintended consequences and the Zindi super weapon we've seen before, but they redid them, and I, 
I like them a lot better. I, I really think they did a, a great job redoing both of those dilemmas. I, I really like their missions. Uh, I, I, their, their, their first mission, their Eliminate Terrorist mission, I thought was, was fantastic. And, and when we look down into their personnel, uh, a couple of the personnel that we've seen before, uh, I like how they touched and, and, and made a little better, but, but I also really like a couple of the personnel that, that we hadn't seen before. Uh, and, and they, they, the, the, the Maquis card that they gave the Maquis, uh, called Willie, William T. Riker, Riker Will, uh, I, I had some questions on it, but I like it. And I could see why that would be really, really a lot of fun. So, uh, I, I, I've enjoyed reading through the whole set and I look forward to drilling down a little bit and seeing what I think about the cards uh, when, when I really kind of get into them and, and, and look into the actual game text. Interestingly enough, um, Riker Will was one of the ones that jumped out at me as a big red flag. I don't, I, I, I just can't get behind that card being a Bajoran with a Maquis icon. That's exactly what I was it, thinking it, myself. It, 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 sure should abs- it should absolutely not be Bajoran affiliation with a Maquis icon, and I, I'm sure that I would love to hear their argument for why. Uh, I, I think they're wrong, <laughs> but I'd really like to hear why they thought that was. That's that's. I don't mean this to be an insult, but that's very dream cardy. It doesn't make sense in the context of the game that he would be. He he should be a Federation TNG infiltrator. Maybe works with the Bajorans or the Maquis in some sort of a bit way with this game text, but he should be a Federation TNG infiltrator, not yes, a Bajoran personnel with a Maquis icon. The other thing that jumped out at me was that they didn't give names to a couple of their funny name people. I mean, they kind of did. I mean, they took Ensign Ricky and gave him a funny last name, but they left Click and Clack. This was your big presentation of your big final expansion and you shouldn't have funny jokey names in there anymore it should be more should be proper yeah it should have been all business and that that stuck I and mean, like i said i was i posted these this morning and i was just reading through them quickly and i jotted down a couple notes and the two notes that i'd written down on the borg side were Riker will should not be pejoran and funny names <laughs> there shouldn't be funny names i'm disappointed right. in that part I agree with you on the missions are really cool. They've made some excellent changes to their previous cards. I'm really yeah. looking forward to sitting down and digging into these cards over the next couple of days so that we can present present a more detailed review next week. Right. But those things jumped out at me on my first glance. What did you what did you think of home? Well, honestly, I don't mean to harp on it, but the first thing that jumped out at me on home was, man, that's a lot of ships. And it just Two Starfleet ships, really? I don't know. I would again. I would like to know why they thought that was a good decision. To putting two Starfleet ships in there, plus a Starfleet personnel. That's just sort of a lot. We don't see Starfleet win any big tournaments yet. I mean, I know they just got a whole bunch of love in the last set. Maybe they need that. Maybe, but but again, they already have a lot of ships. I mean, they have a lot of ships for an, uh, an affiliation that their whole big theme was. We only have one ship. It's a good point, actually. What jumped out at you about home, Neil? Uh, I looked through a couple of their dilemmas, and I hate to be mean, but I'm not a big fan of a couple of their dilemmas. I think a couple of their dilemmas are way too easy to get through, and as, as, a, as a player who's attempted a lot of missions, and I've overcome a lot of dilemmas, uh, you get to a point where you do whatever you do, or you, whatever you can do to overcome a dilemma and keep a guy on stock, or more importantly, you just do whatever you do to overcome a dilemma. And I see a bunch of these dilemmas that have built-in 
loopholes. That there's a way to get around the dilemma, and the way to get around the dilemma is printed on the dilemma. And that 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 to me says, seems like the dilemma is a little bit weak. But 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 I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe I'm just not looking at it quite right. I liked a couple of their events, but I thought a couple of their events were cutting room floor material, uh, where they're they're okay, they're kind of neat, but they're not they're not game changing, they're not game breaking, and if you cut them, you can make room in your expansion for other things. The events where we find there is Indie Super Weapon, and I think they did okay. I think they they fixed it up a little bit. It's not I don't think it's as good as as the this Indie Weapon on the other side of the the, the tennis court, but. But it's, I think it's a lot better than the one that they presented in the earlier set. I'm, I'm kind of here to there on their, on their interrupts. One, one of the most interesting concepts here was how are they going to label the Zindi? I, I have not been shy about the fact that I would make an icon. Word entirely up to me, I would make the non-aligned personnel with a, a new icon over there on the left side to differentiate their faction. Right, yeah. And that's what they ultimately chose to do, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I like yeah, it. I, I, it because that mechanic already exists in the game with the Federation, where you have one affiliation that is subsequently subdivided. Now, it's it's slightly different with the Feds because you can't play all the Federation together, but you can with the non-aligned. It still can be applied to be interesting, especially if all of the verbs and all of the game text on the personnel and ships need that icon to function. So I I think that was an excellent solution to the problem. Yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Not that the Borgs was bad either, but the icon... Is, is great. I, I, and that, that's actually the model that I would like to see used down the road for Erogen or Kazon or Vidians in the game. I also looked at their two missions, and, and I actually really like their, their, their two missions. Uh, I like their Delphic Expanse mission. It's, it, it just feels really, really good. It's, it's got a bunch of different requirements, and it's, uh, one of the things that I kind of like is, is having things on a mission that aren't skills or attributes. Like sometimes you might need a couple of androids, or sometimes you might need a board queen, and this has that, and it's it's really kind of cool. And and as a as a as a Federation Romulan uh, guy, I like neutral zone missions. They're they're just a lot of fun, and I, I I've been super excited listening to tournament reports where people have said, yeah, we just had a a, a neutral zone party where everyone brought either Federation or Romulan, and you had to play neutral zone missions. That's just I dig that. I dig it a whole bunch. And so I really like their missions. I think they did a really good job of, of providing good personnel where good personnel are needed. And even though they, we, we required them to toss a bone to uh, every affiliation, they, they, to the really strong affiliations, they, I mean, they fulfilled the requirement but didn't give much, which I thought was good because the Klingons just don't need another super guy and the board just don't need another super guy i miss this office i was not happy to leave it drop by anytime you're feeling homesick you're very gracious so neil you're off the hook this week i'm not going to make you pick a winner with only less than 24 hours to have looked at the cards that's just not fair and the same could be said for the public. We're not going to expect you to look at 90 cards and help pick a winner in a couple of days. I do know you'll have at least all of this week, the whole weekend, to look through all the cards and hopefully make an informed decision. Excellent. One of the things that's probably been lost in all of the eliminations and challenges and podcasts is that the winner of this competition 
is going to be a game designer. They will be working with Brad and, and probably some other people to create cards that we will print and cut out sometime in the future. So this is really an opportunity for everyone in the public to shape the future of the game by helping to pick the person that they, their vision they agree with the most. And I, I also seem to remember that in Challenge 1 we were talking about that all of the cards and all of the competition here are all property of the continuing committee to be used and exploited to our will. So for all the, all the cards in the competition, it's possible that game designer or not, they might show up in the set because uh, Brad likes them or, or one of the other designers likes them, and they're just, they're just part of the continuing committee's fare at this point. Yeah, the, the public vote is, is important because it shows the designers, who, who most of whom are watching this competition closely, what the public likes and doesn't like. So the public vote, it, it's been down lately. There's no denying that. Obviously, I think one of the lessons that we can learn from this competition when we do it next year is it needs to be shorter. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, this was a learning experience for not only the contestants, but for us running it as well. So we still need your votes, everybody. So please download the expansions, take a look at them, make some notes, hit up the polls, and do your, do your part to help choose the next assistant designer. Because once this phase ends and we get into phase three, before you know it, we're going to be done and we're going to have picked a winner. Now is the time to either come back and vote again or start voting or to those of you who have voted in every challenge, thank you and please keep it up. Well, that's all of the feedback that we have for you this week. Hopefully we haven't colored your perceptions too much. And hopefully you're all excited to take a look at what the teams have created. Absolutely. I know that I am very excited to sit down with a pencil and some printouts and really rip into these cards for our podcast next week. Yeah, I am too. All right. Well, I'm Charlie Plain. And I'm Neil Timmons, and in the immortal words of Captain Picard, make it so. The Make It So podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. For more information, visit www.creativecommons.org. Some of the music in today's podcast is brought to you podsafe free from Mebio's Music Alley. For more information, visit www.musicalley.com. Make it so. The search for the next assistant game designer is brought to you by the Continuing Committee, home of the first and second edition Star Trek CCG. For more information, please visit www.trekcc.org, www.trekcc.org.